Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is our episode for November 2019. We're nearly at the end of the year, but so much to cover. This is going to be a new series special, I think, Rob, both by design and by accident. How are you? Yeah, Dave, it certainly is. I'm I'm very well. As we were just talking off mic, I've had a lovely dinner with some of my work colleagues. I've got home. I'm sitting down. It's It's a wee bit warm, which is slightly unpleasant, but otherwise I'm pretty good. No, that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. It's been a bit of a wild day for the weather in Melbourne, which is not that unusual at this time of the year for for this city. But no, I've I've been well. I had a good time in Taiwan a couple of weeks ago, which was really interesting, and come back to a bit of controversy around China. But that's okay. <laughs> so, Rob, our topic for this month is favourite aspects, favourite moments of the new series of Doctor Who. A bit of a special episode there and we're going to talk about that we've got a lot of news about the new series as well so that's going to be interesting and our usual mix of many topics uh, before we get going though i just want to uh make a little bit of a um a, a melancholy if not sad comment rob yeah and that is that someone that i knew in doctor who fandom for about 30 years a gentleman by the name of daniel o'dwyer passed away last week and look i can't pretend we were close in the last few years but he was someone who was a member of the Doctor Who Club of Victoria down here from the late 80s through to the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. He was a very generous person back in the days of tape swapping back in the 90s. He was always very generous with swapping a very vast collection of Doctor Who tapes he had as well as a lot of other extraordinary things. So he's someone that was very friendly to me and to others in the club. And I just wanted to mention his passing because he, I don't think he was even 50. So it was very, very sad. Oh gosh, well, well, wale uh, to to Daniel there, and, and it's interesting, isn't it, Dave? You and I came into fandom at a very young age, and so we're still relatively young, even though we made friends ten, twenty, thirty years ago. And you can look back to these times and and the people you met then and think, well, that's such a long time ago. But he's still such a young man himself. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, that's that that's just really really sad news and. Um, Gosh, yeah, we, we make some good friends in fandom. Don't always catch up with them all the time, but they're still still our mates. No, no, still see people like Daniel around at the conventions or the fan events or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I just thought it was worth a, uh, a mention because back before the days of podcasting, these these were the fan communities. That's right. This this would have been news in a, in a fanzine, I dare say. Absolutely, absolutely. But having paid my respect there, we'll crack on to the episode. Rob... The news is almost entirely about one big theme this month, I think. It is, Dave. And I saw this described on Twitter. I wish I'd written down who said it. But I saw someone on Twitter say, has the past year been the Doctor Who press office trying to fix a, a leaky faucet or something and now it's just exploded and the, the whole place is flooded? Because all of a sudden, like we've been waiting for this November 23 news, and I'll, I'll make a note on that in a moment. We've been waiting for some big November 23 news. But... In the days leading up to it, as we're recording this, the BBC has just started dropping, you know, news after news, after video, after whatever it can get its hands on. And all of a sudden, we know loads, relatively, about Series 12, when previously, a week ago, we didn't know anything. No, and it's all been dropped in a very sort of piecemeal sound pejorative, but it is a very piecemeal, gentle sort of way, in a way that you sort of... I've come to all of this just via seeing tweets... Or retweets and go. Oh, okay, that's that's exciting news. Like, wow, okay. 
Yeah, exactly. I've, I've been getting stuff from like the Dwass on Twitter and such. But I think the first thing I'll mention while I remember it is November 23 will have happened the day before people hear this episode. However, it's a few days hence from when we're recording this episode. So for yes. people out there, we know there's going to be something happening on November 23. My, my money is that it's going to be a trailer, a good chunky trailer of stuff happening in the new series. And that's great. You will have all seen it by the time you hear this, if that's what it is. But we haven't seen it, so we're not talking about that. We have plenty of other things, though, to talk about. Dave, do you want to take us through the first one? So this was, I think, the first of these little tidbit announcements that the BBC gave, where they started pumping up and saying, and I quote, Series 12 is going to be huge. The scale is just epic. No one will be disappointed. Now, no hopefully, hopefully that's not a... Um, comment that they have to have stand up in court because <laughs> Doctor Who found it, but I reckon we can find one disappointed person out there somewhere no matter what they do. But yes. they have confirmed there will be no Christmas special. I think we, we, we knew that that was likely and that's fine. We've made our peace with that. Series 12 will begin as we expected on New Year's Day, which will be the first part of a two-part story. Part two that is on the Saturday following New Year's Day, which is Saturday the 4th of January. I find this interesting, Dave, that the part two... Well, actually, that it's two parts to begin with. We're starting off with some epic story, apparently. And we had news today, just to drop in, that Lenny Henry and Stephen Fry are in this story. There was some other news that dropped piecemeal. Yeah, like, really just out of nowhere. Suddenly, there was this very low-key announcement that two big names are going to be in the series. And Stephen Fry and Lenny Henry are big names. Oh, they certainly are. I, I couldn't resist, though. I had to drop that, you know, because a lot of fans wouldn't know this. Lenny Henry, back in the 80s on a, uh, on a sketch comedy show, uh, portrayed the first black doctor, sort of in this big leather coat and a big scarf. And it was quite a funny little skit, as I remember. It's probably on one of the DVDs or something, if I look it up. It is. I, I do remember it quite fondly. And it, it, it is quite funny. It's set during the hiatus period. And it actually ends because Lenny Henry's this new, very sexy doctor with him realising that maybe he and Perry need to take the show off air for 18 months and get to know each other a little better. <laughs> and, and that's, that's right. the cause for the hiatus. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but anyway, getting back to what I was saying about the two parts, it's, it's interesting that this is a two-part story, but that second part airing on a Saturday, Dave, I wonder if that's a hint that Doctor Who's coming back to Saturdays? I mean, why would they play it on a Saturday? They could play that on any day, really. They could play it a week after New Year's Day. Yeah, I think that that's a very big hint or announcement that they will be moving back to Saturdays, which I think is an interesting move. It works better for us, certainly here in Australia, because... We get it on the Sunday, which is really nice. I don't know if that's a good move or a bad move. It'd be interesting to see because I remember we, we advocated very early, Rob, on our show that maybe the Saturday night slot wasn't working for the show and it needed to go somewhere else. And we were very big fans of trying the Sunday night. And if that didn't wasn't deemed to work, you know, do they go back to Sunday? I, I guess so. But uh, interesting tidbit that I saw on Twitter just before we came on board, and that is if they are doing Saturdays following the 4th of January then there will be an episode that will go out on the 29th of February. And that will only be the second episode of Doctor Who ever to go out on a 29th of February. The other one being Marco Polo Episode 2. Well, there you go. That's something. There you go. <laughs> and from me, some more information on this new series. Uh, as we know, in the 11th series, the 10 episodes were directed by just 
four directors. Each of the directors got a pretty good uh, good go, but only two of them were women. That was Sally Abrahamian and Jennifer Perot. Whereas in this upcoming 12th series, um, the BBC's announced that there's a bunch of new writers and directors, and uh, three of the new writers are women. Uh, that's Nina Mativia, Maxine Alderton, and Charlene James. And also, like last season, we'll also have four directors doing the 10 episodes, uh, and two of those, Nita Manzor and Emma Sullivan, are women. So there's five new women, including a black writer and a Muslim director, getting into Doctor Who. And I know uh, people, well, some fans don't like going on about the, uh, you know, the, the gender imbalance and all that sort of stuff, but I, I think this is a good thing to talk about. I think it's, it's kind of you know, healthy to be getting some of this balance into Doctor Who, and for so long, and I, I don't know why, people like Russell T. Davis and, and Stephen Moffat weren't doing it. I think what's interesting here as well is, as you say, a very positive move in that direction in terms of having more women represented in the series, is that both Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat very quickly, I think, put together a production team that kind of stayed with them with very little change for a long time. There were the same directors in the RTD era, the same writers in the RTD era, era, same with Moffat. Yes, there'll be a few little changes here and there and a few additions here and there as they went on, but largely very stable collections, whereas Chibnall, I think, is trying to be a lot more innovative and get very different ideas and very different talents in there, and that could be a very positive thing, having very different voices right for the series, and I do get the feeling that he is augmenting and continuing to embellish his production team in a way maybe the others didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I've seen some people, I mean, people, <laughs> it's the internet, isn't it, Dave? Some people want to criticise things just for the sake of criticising. And one of the go-to remarks has been, oh, these new writers, none of them have written sci-fi. They're all relatively new, you know, Ugh, boo sucks to them. And I think, well... Richard Curtis, I don't think, had written any science fiction before he wrote Vincent and the Doctor. <laughs> you know, and I dare say there have been other examples through whose history people have to start somewhere. I don't think it precludes these writers from being able to write great stories. No, I mean, I don't think David Fisher had written a lot of sci-fi before he wrote some very good uh, Doctor Who stories. Douglas Adams hadn't written very much at all before he wrote any Doctor Who stories. He turned out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> You know, even someone like Terry Nation wasn't known for his sci-fi. Exactly right. So I've seen people say that. I think, oh, you people, you just... You know, I, I can I can give criticism where I think it's justified, but I think in that area, that that's just not justified. Let's see what they come up with. I mean, they've got Chibnall script editing them. Uh, I'm sure, you know, if there's some sci-fi blunders in there, he could smooth them out. Uh, you know, I don't think it's anything to particularly worry about until we actually see what they've done. They also might not be writing sci-fi episodes. They might be writing historicals. They very well could be. Uh, they might be very, very good at that. So, look, I don't know. I mean, these, these writers are just names on a page to me. I don't know them. I don't pretend I know them. The BBC's chosen to hire them. That's good. Let's see what they produce. Yeah, that's right. And and you don't have to know them, Dave. I don't know them either because they, they are apparently all quite new at this. So, you know, they, they haven't made their names yet. And I mean, I think back to the J&T days where he'd give a lot of new writers a go, you know, and there were some diamonds in the rough there. Yeah, absolutely. You look at some of the writers that came out of the Cartmel era. That oh, yeah. If, if, if we were, well, I mean, fan, I guess fanzines at the time did say who are this cast of teenagers that are writing for the show. And, you know, people like Ben Aronovich and Mark Platt and Cartmel himself have gone on to be very capable writers. Rona Munro, another one. So, yeah, yeah they, everybody starts somewhere and that's that's just 
silly criticism. I think so too. Anyway, we've got something that's not Series 12 related, Dave. <laughs> no, so uh, good news for Australian listeners. The Season 10 Blu-ray box set has arrived, I think, right across Australia. I think everybody I know who ordered one has got a copy now. And a lot of people have also picked them up on the shelves. And Season 23 is now open for pre-order on various websites. So we are catching up to the UK now. Yeah, rapidly so. I mean, that season uh, 10 was hitting letterboxes and season 23 went up almost straight away and it's the 4th of December. That'll be out. So that's only a few weeks away from now, Dave. It is. So hopefully by the time we get to season 26, we will be back to being not far off the UK, if not very, very close to the UK. So that'll be a good thing. Well, I think with the delays that are that are happening in the UK with season 26, I think we will actually probably catch up. Because it, it's put off until January sometime. That's a month after we get season 23. There's a good chance we'll we'll really start to catch up then through uh, just uh, happenstance, really, because <laughs> the UK is behind. Yeah, so that's very positive. So I haven't had time to watch anything from the season 10 box set. I've been watching other new stuff, as we're going to talk about later in the show, actually. But, yeah, really looking forward to this and um, good that we've caught up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've made a promise to watch a very particular uh, season 10 story and I haven't done that. I'd barely cracked the the case open until just the other day and I I haven't played anything yet. But summer is coming up, so it's a good time to have a couple of box sets sitting there waiting to go. Oh, yes. And an air conditioner. That said, though, Robin, moving on to the first of our mini topics for this month, I did find myself a week or so ago with a couple of unexpected quiet evenings and I thought I really really want to watch some Pertwee. I really want to watch some Season 10. And I couldn't because I thought there's no point watching the DVD when the Blu-ray is a week away. Yes. And so I just pulled Colony in Space off the shelf and watched that over two nights. And it really is very good. It's not a classic, but it is a very mm. clever story with some wonderful characters. And I really, really enjoyed watching that story. Yeah, what made you want to put it on? Uh, I think it was just I wanted to watch a good classic Pertwee and that one caught my eye. Mm. And I guess we've been talking Pertwee a lot in our past, uh, well, our previous monthly episode too. That's true, that's true. So I think he's very much on my mind at the moment and it was a good chance to dive into just a, I think a very underrated but also but also an underwatched story. I don't think it gets a lot of attention. Yeah, I think you might be right there. Um that's the one people say is quite drab, isn't it? It is. And I look, the production values there are quite drab in terms of there's lots of very earthy colours and very earthy tones, and it's in a quarry, not just for a little bit, but for a lot of it. Uh, and, and that's a valid criticism of it. But you can also see, this was Michael E. Bryan's first turn as director on a Doctor Who, and you can see this very innovative style that Michael E. Bryan would have on a lot of his stories that eventually culminates with him doing a very wonderful and amazing job on robots of death but stuff like revenge of the cybermen for example is another one of his i think the sea devils is one of his from memory and mm. he, he's doing some interesting stuff here pertwee's great the characters are great uh it's it's a hulk script it's good to see delgado turn up i just thought this was a really fun forgotten sort of story that perhaps deserves a bit more love than it gets and i get is overshadowed by uh, some of the bigger stories in the season because I did go from there and watch The Mind of Evil as well and that's wow that's a <laughs> that's a big story yeah it really is it really is a great story yeah it, it, it is it is um, and I think in, in that case perhaps having come back from Taiwan and met with a few officials and the like I was kind of interested in seeing some of that 
uh, Chinese um, portrayals and, and, and the like. So uh, it was very yeah. interesting. Um, one final thought that did occur to me, though, as I was watching it and I saw the character of the Chinese ambassador, Mr. Fu Peng, who was played by an actor called Christopher Cum. And I thought, what would Doctor Who have been like if Christopher had played Lee Sen Chang rather than John Bennett? Well, we wouldn't have people complaining about <laughs> <laughs> would we? That'd be, no. that'd be the first thing. Uh, but I, less facetiously, yes, yeah, that would have been great, you know, obviously. Whenever the debate about Towns of Wen Chang happens, people are like, okay, well, what's your alternative casting? You know, there are a couple of obvious ones, but I just was watching this actor play the Chinese ambassador and I thought, he's really good. What if he yeah. played Lee Sing Chang? Just, just cross my mind. Um, and just while you were talking about watching uh, Colony in Space, Dave, that season uh, 10 story that I'm going to watch is Frontier in Space, also a Malcolm Hulk story. Uh, and I'm, when I crack those Blu-rays open for, for real, that's what I'll be watching. I'm really keen to watch Frontier in Space again. I love Frontier in Space. I'm looking forward to that on Blu-ray. Mm, good stuff. Uh, short topic for me this month, just the one. I'm watching The Mandalorian at the moment, Dave, and absolutely loving it. Oh, that's good. Uh, it's on the list of shows that have come out in the last week that I will watch, um, hopefully over the next week or so. But I'm hearing really good things about it. Yeah, it's just really good. The episodes are shorter than I thought they would be. The I think the expectation was, oh, it'll be like in the 50-minute range and maybe some will be 51 minutes and some yes. will touch an hour. And instead, the first one was like maybe 30-something, maybe 40 minutes. The next one was 32 minutes. Um, they're fairly short, actually, so far. Yeah, that really surprised me. I also thought it was going to be a big 50-minute to an hour drama and all the rest of it, but they've gone for a really different style and tone, I believe. They have. To me, it's like, and I know some people who have been criticising The Mandalorian say this, so when I say this, people don't think I'm criticising it at all, because I actually quite like it. I find it quite cartoonish. I find it like watching an episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars or something like that. Uh, In just the way the action moves along, it doesn't get bogged down in in stuff. And some scenes, the, the whole thing is actually a lot more funny than I thought it would be. Uh, and there's one particular scene in the second episode. It could come straight from a Warner Brothers cartoon of the 60s. I won't go into it in any more detail and spoil it, but it's actually very funny, cartoonish in some ways, and just just a joy to watch. I don't know whether it's going to bog down and get into some deep, dark you know, storyline eventually, but thus far, it's just fun. Yeah, this is what I'm hearing from a number of my friends, and no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching i will watch it over the next couple of weeks I just haven't had time yeah really really good stuff and also uh man in the high castle the final season of that the fourth season is uh has dropped now on amazon and i've watched the first episode of that that is some great sci-fi i mean people will talk in broad brushstrokes oh it's like a what if the the nazis won world war ii and america was divided between the japanese and the nazis and and yes it's like an alternate history sort of thing but there is a strong 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 sci-fi element to it and i really like it and i like what they're doing with this final series no i have been a big fan of the man of the high castle i did miss series three last year i was very busy over summer and didn't get to watch it so i'll probably save that for over the christmas break and watch series three and four at some time because i did really enjoy the first two Oh, some big stuff happens in three days. Some yeah, absolutely. Stuff. No, no, I know I can't skip it, so I will uh, wait till I've got a bit of time over the summer and I'll watch three and then four, I think. It's definitely on the list, yeah. Very good. Uh, speaking of new series, something I wanted to mention that I've been watching with a very strong Doctor Who connection 
is the new Russell T Davies series, Years and Years, which came out in the UK a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And a few people in Australia did watch it by various nefarious means. But it is now being broadcast on SBS here, which is a very low-key station for it to be broadcast on. It's like the... the, the for, for, for listeners outside Australia, it's like the... Um, well, it's our second public broadcaster, and it's the much smaller of the two. And it's meant to be a station that broadcasts in other languages, but they seem to buy a lot of English language stuff, Dave, which really confuses me. Yeah, yeah. And look, famously, they used to have the uh, the soccer back when nobody in Australia watched soccer, and then it became popular again, and they made a lot of money. But yeah, it's that sort of a quiet sort of show, which I think is unfortunate, because it is a big Russell T. Davies drama. The casting is spectacularly good. Uh, Emma Thompson is in there. Russell Tovey is in there. Rory Kinnear is in there. Really, really strong cast. It's written by Russell T. Davies, so it's got a really strong script and a really strong story. Uh, The premise is that part one starts on a day in 2019, and then over the course of the episodes, they move forward in time until they're about 20 years uh, in the future. Mm. Some of the things that Russell T. Davies predicts are really clever and really interesting, particularly around some social media innovations, some technology innovations, that sort of thing. It's really quite clever. Um, And Russell T. Davies does that Malcolm Hulk thing of taking today's contemporaneous issues and projecting them into the future so you can do a sci-fi take on them and do a commentary on them. And as I say, some of it's very, very clever. Some of it's a bit ridiculous, I find. Some of it's Mm. overly negative I find which which is okay it's a drama they they need to exaggerate they need to be overly emo- emotional uh, Murray Gold is here doing the music and very very good as well it's a, it's a really good production I haven't been as blown away as some because I do find it a little bit just a little bit bitter and a little bit cynical I mm-hmm. think it could be a little bit lighter and I th- it does remind me a lot of some of those productions particularly some of the Doctor Who New Adventures and BBV things from the 90s which would do this sort of in 10 years in the future and everyone's going to be walking around in gas masks because you won't be able to breathe the air and giant <laughs> corporations will have crushed out all democracy and mm. you know by, by 2005 we'll all be you know, living in tower blocks and there'll be no more grass and I kind of look <laughs> around and go yeah that hasn't dated too well mm, that's um, and, right. and I suspect this series won't date all that well either but it is brilliantly acted and brilliantly scripted and if you are a fan of Russell T Davies' work and you haven't seen this it is worth checking it out yeah we certainly have some mutual friends who were raving about this when it was going on in the UK oh yes and and uh, I took some notice then and and I know it's on SBS and I, I know SBS has a wonderful app uh that I can grab this on I just haven't got to it yet but I should because Russell is just a remarkable writer yeah, absolutely. I don't think this is his best work, but, you know, it's Russell C. Davies. Who cares? You know, even even on a bad day, he's better than most writers. Yeah, agreed there. Shall we move on to our main topic, Dave? Yeah, so, Rob, do you want to take us through the premise of this topic? Because you've done a bit of the groundwork on this one, and we did set some rules up for ourselves. Yeah, we did. And I guess... To come at this from from the top, we uh, we are two old school fans, Dave, and we lapse into talking about old school Doctor Who probably a little more than than New Who, especially when New Who's not been around for the past twelve months on our screens. And I thought, you know what? I think we should swing it, swing the pendulum back a bit, and talk about some New Who and the top five things we like, maybe a few runners up. And uh, I did sketch out some some ground rules and send them to you the other day, and you 
uh, graciously uh, acquiesced to them. The rules for our top five new Who uh, things, as I'll call it, they're not moments, they're not people particularly, they're, they're just things, they could be moments or people, uh, are that all doctors and showrunners are immediately exonerated from this list. We're, we're not going to waste... I say waste in quotation marks, a, a, uh, one of our top five things on Russell T. Davis, for example. Yeah, or, or, or Peter Capaldi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we, we know that the Doctors were great. We know the show ones were great, were great. We've devoted a lot of time to talk about how great those big names are. So let, let's take them as read. Exactly. And so uh, you and I, Dave, are going to tic-tac back and forth, presenting our items in as chronological an order as we can muster. So if I have a season or a series one thing on my list, that's what I'm going to present first, uh, no matter what. And we can have up to five runners up. I think in the end I've picked three and you have picked... Uh, Three as well. Three as well. Great. And we'll see where we go from there. This is quite exciting because I have no idea what you've picked uh, outside of the series that your picks come from. No, that's right. So just before we recorded, we exchanged what series our picks were from so we could put them into some sort of a chronological order. And there are a couple where we've both got a pick in the same series and, and most of them we haven't. So there aren't that many chances for us to overlap. What I've done, Rob, is I've picked a moment or a story but used that as an example to then branch off and talk about something bigger that I really like about the new series. So that's how I'm playing it. But we both picked something from Series 1. And just because I know the uh, best way to make this tic-tacking work, I'll ask you to go first, Rob. Okay, Dave. I've picked a scene from Rose. We got any snaps there? No, no. But I, Ooh, I, good. I, I, I like where you're going. Okay. I've picked the scene where Chris Eccleston is talking to uh, Billy Piper as Rose and talking about the uh, the turn of the earth and being able to feel it. And I think we should just throw to some audio here, actually, to remind people of this. Really, though, Doctor, tell me, who are you? Do you know, like we were saying, about the earth revolving? It's like when you're a kid. The first time they tell you that the world's turning and you just can't quite believe it because everything looks like it's standing still. I can feel it. The turn of the earth. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour and the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour and I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me clinging to the skin of this tiny little world and if we let go that's who I am now forget me Rose Tyler go home I pick this because this has always struck me as almost a modern take on I'm a time lord you don't understand the implications I'm not a human being I walk in eternity, you know, from Pyramids of Mars. Yeah. In in the sense that the Doctor is talking to a companion as the audience surrogate telling us that he's different. But this is couched in language that I think is a lot more humble. It's about him noticing the small stuff. And he's also talking about our world, not the whole universe or indeed eternity. And doesn't the Earth seem extraordinary when he puts it in those terms about, you know, how we're spinning around and we're falling through space, clinging to the skin of this little tiny world? It's, it's like Monty Python's Galaxy Song. 
Um, yes. You know, the first time I heard that as a kid, it just blew my mind. All these facts about the universe, and I was like, "Is this true? I guess I guess it's true." Oh my god, the universe is amazing. But getting back to Rose, I saw this scene the first time, and also thought, "That's that's bloody amazing." You know, I I really like this new Who. <laughs> I can remember when we first watched with a bunch of friends that leaked copy of Rose in somebody's living room. For the first 10, 15 minutes, I'm going, yeah, this is good. But that was the moment I thought, this is Doctor Who. Mm. And, you know, compared to the, the next four things I talk about, my and my runners-up, I guess, in some ways, this scene doesn't really compare to them. The, the next few scenes are bigger, broader, whatever. But this is sentimental to me. It's the first glimpse of New Who I had. And it's still very good regardless. The other thing that that scene does is, for those people who came at Doctor Who and didn't know who Russell T. Davies was and what he could do, this was a moment where you go, this guy is a very lyrical writer. And he can write in that very modern lyrical sort of way. Um, I, I was certainly familiar with Russell's work from Queer as Folk earlier and, and that very clever lyrical writing that he does in, in all his stuff. But yeah, this is, I think, the moment for a lot of fans, they've gone, this guy can write. Like, really write. Yeah, you say lyrical, I, I would say poetic. They mean the same thing. It's, yeah, it's yeah. just really good. Yeah, it is. So my first pick is also from Series 1 and probably equally obvious, I think, and that is I've picked the episode Dalek. Yes. And um, I'll look, we'll, we'll set the mood by dropping in a scene here. If you can't kill, then what are you good for, Dalek? What's the point of you? You're nothing! What the hell are you here for? I am waiting for orders! What does that mean? I am a soldier! To receive orders. Well, you're never going to get any. Not ever. I demand orders. They're never going to come. Your race is dead. You all burn, all of you. Ten million ships on fire. The entire Dalek race wiped out in one second. You lie. I watched it happen. I made it happen. You destroyed us. Now, Rob, I've picked this episode not just because it was the episode that convinced me that this was going to be a show I was going to follow, but because it's representative of the fact that I think one of the best things that the new series of Doctor Who has done well, almost consistently, is the Daleks. The modern take on the Daleks, to me, has been one of the most wonderful things about the series, one of my favourite things about the series. There are so many good Dalek episodes, but particularly Dalek itself, where they just take all the technology and all the things that we've learned and all the things that television could do and suddenly take a 1963 created monster and just make it work for modern television without any hesitation whatsoever. And it's just so good. And the way the Doctor and Rose interact with it and the way that it goes on and then all the Dalek stuff that it, it, it creates from there and the mythos that it creates from there. I think the Daleks are one of the best parts of new... Doctor Who, and that's, that's my first pick. 
Oh, fantastic pick, fantastic episode. It's funny, I was I was only today at work, I was talking to someone about Dalek, the episode Dalek, uh, in terms of we had uh, some repairmen in our bathroom at work, uh, the floor was wet, and they were turning the electricity off so they didn't get zapped, and I was talking to someone about how the Dalek zaps the, the people <laughs> with, the, uh, with the sprinkler system on. So that's just really weird that that's come up twice in one day for me. But yeah, completely concur with that. It's, it's a wonderful scene, wonderful story. Yeah, and a wonderful use of a classic monster. Uh, Rob, you picked something out of Series 2. I have, Dave, and I don't think you have anything from Series 2. So. No, so there's no chance of a clash here. Yeah. Uh, Dave, I've gone with Sarah Jane returning in School Reunion. Oh, nice. Very yeah. nice. Now, I don't have a particular clip to play here. I just want to say it was mind-blowing really to have Sarah Jane return and come face to face with the 10th Doctor and I think the way he plays it his performance the way he looks at her I think Tennant being such a big fan of the show knows exactly what the Doctor has to do here and he does it and there's a real bittersweet sort of melancholy about them being back together and of course Rose being the latest in a long line and it's not the last time that that will be a thing in the show basically how painful it is to be left behind by the Doctor Uh, but also how hard it is for the Doctor to leave people too. There's just a lot going on and it's really nice. Then you throw in K-9 having this heroic death. And I don't even like K-9, but I love that scene. The only unfortunate thing, though, is the overall story of School Reunion isn't that fabulous. Um, You have all these amazing scenes and great performances, but they're ultimately in this mediocre story. It doesn't stop them being great moments. Um, I'll stop and stare at the TV anytime this is on. It's just amazing. But uh, it is a bit of a mediocre story. But forget that. Sarah Jane returned to Doctor Who. It was great. The end. It really was. That was an episode I remember my friends and I were just, you know, it was on the calendar. You know, that that's the day that Sarah Jane is going to be on. That's the day her episode's on, you know, clear the calendar sort of thing. Mm. And it was the moment where having established the new series in series one and said, look, this this works not just works, this is really, really good television, it's really good Doctor Who, having stood on its own two feet, they're now bringing in that gentle, wonderful aspect of the old series and going, yes, we're standing on our own two feet, but we are part of a bigger thing, we are part of a bigger canon, and we are connecting ourselves to that in a, in a most wonderful way. And I think that's a really good pick. Yeah, thank you. What have you got? So I've got something, which I've, I've said from series three mm-hmm. but again it's representative of something a bit bigger now i've used series three because my favorite story of the new series is human nature uh and i'll play a little moment here of our david Tennant's performance from that mm-hmm. i don't care about this doctor and your family i just want you to go so i've made my choice you can have him just take it please take him away last Don't think that saved your life. Family of mine. Now we shall have the lives of a Time Lord. It's empty. Where's it gone? You tell me. Oh, I think the explanation might be you've been fooled by a simple olfactory misdirection. A little bit like ventriloquism of the nose. Now, I'm not just picking human nature, though, Rob. 
I am picking this to represent a vast number of the Russell T Davies two-parters, which I think are amongst some of the classic stories of all of Doctor Who. I'm talking about Empty Child Doctor Dances, Bad Wolf Parting of the Ways, The Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit, Human Nature and Family of Blood, of course. I would put the Sontaran Stratagem and the Poison Sky in there. I would definitely put Stolen Earth and Journey's End in there. These big, epic Russell T. Davies era two-parters, I think is just Doctor Who at its best. They compete with all my favourites from the classic series. And so I've, I've picked those as being my next favourite thing about new Doctor Who. Yeah, look, wonderful story. And I I was really kicking around some scenes from that myself. If I did pick a scene, it would have been at the end where, you know, the Doctor is fire and ice and sugar and spice or whatever it is. And he, yep. he locks people away in neutron stars and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, I really do enjoy that bit from the end. But the whole thing is just wonderful. And yes, his, his two-parters, Russell's two-parters across his era are just amazing. Uh, if only... Uh, we can hope Chris Chibnall's first two-parter kicking off this new series is, is, is as good. That could be very exciting too. Yeah, absolutely. And whilst I totally understand and respect the argument that in modern television, stories are 42 minutes long and the audience expects to have, for the most part, a story over and done within a night, where they do do the two-parters, they really make use of them and just do a really good story with that extra bit of depth, that extra bit of excitement, more time for more drama, and yeah, I think they're really, really good. And they're quite different to the Moffat two-parters too, where his raison d'etre was almost, oh, let's do the first part, and in the second part we'll try and just go somewhere completely different and do different things. And I think, no, just continue the story on like the Russell T. Davis ones did, you know? Yeah. Sometimes the Moffat two-parters were a bit weird like that. And once again, I get why people like that, but I love the, the biggest scale Russell T. Davies ones. They're big part of what I love about New Who. Yeah, fantastic. Now, we're tic-tacking, and so Rob, you can go next, but we have both picked something out of Series 5. Ooh, Smithy's first series, Dave. Yeah. Mm, okay. Uh, mine comes from the end of Smithy's first series. Am I warm? Uh, yes. Uh, from the Big Bang? No. Ooh, good. Okay, great. We're in the Big Bang, Dave, and... Smithy has got young Amelia Pond home in bed. The crack is sealing up on her wall. And he does this lovely monologue to her. You, you know the one, when you wake up, yep. I'll be a story in your head. We're all stories in the end. Oh, why don't I just play the audio? When you wake up, you'll have a mum and dad. And you won't even remember me. Well, you remember me a little. I'll be a story in your head. That's okay. We're all stories in the end. Just make it a good one, eh? Because it was, you know. It was the best. The daft old man who stole a magic box. Anyway. Did I ever tell you that I stole it? Well, I borrowed it. I was always going to take it back. Oh, that box. Amy. You'll dream about that box. He'll never leave you. Big and little at the same time. 
brand new and ancient and the bluest blue ever. And the times we had, eh? Would have had. Never. In your dreams, they'll still be there. <laughs> the doctor and Amy Bond. that never came. Series 5 just had this dreamy fairy tale feel in many places and this speech towards the end referring to himself as a story. I mean, it's meta, but there's this broader, almost beautiful way that we all pass on eventually and and we do become stories because people remember us and talk about us we we become stories we really do it's it's quite profound when you stop and and, and think about it and i think smith's acting as well his performance is just sublime in this scene i mean this is his first series and he's just bashing it out of the park it's it's amazing i love this monologue yeah it's really good when you said you're picking something from the end I thought for a moment you were going to do that lovely bit of uh, time travel stuff where Smith's going back and forth and bringing the mop forward and the hat forward and changing this and changing that and that really <laughs> sort of clever funny thing which it was it, that's that's the standout memory I have from from that two part but no you've you've picked a really nice point there yeah thank you it's, it's a quiet it's a quiet little speech you know a lot of the doctor speeches are big and bombastic this is a quieter one and it's just oh it's gorgeous. Speaking of quiet and gorgeous speeches, I'll play you a clip and then we can have a chat about it. Okay. I just wondered, between you and me, in a uh, hundred words, where do you think Van Gogh rates in the history of art? Well, um, big question, um, but to me, Van Gogh is the finest painter of the world. Certainly the most popular, great painter of all time. The most beloved. His command of colour, the most magnificent. He transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world, no one had ever done it before. Perhaps no one ever will again. To my mind, that strange wild man who roamed the fields of Provence was not only the world's greatest artist but also one of the greatest men who ever lived. That was of course Bill Nye giving that wonderful monologue at the end of my favourite scene in my favourite story from the Matt Smith era which is Vincent and the Doctor. I've picked this not just because it's a wonderful story with just emotion and depth and all the rest of it but representative of what it says about the show that here we have an episode of doctor who this funny little show rob that you and i love and others listening love and you know how many podcasts are there and how many websites are there and how much devotion does this silly little show get and in it we had richard curtis writing and bill nye performing yeah like like, it's outrageous it's just incredible and i just wanted to pick this as i said because it's not just a great episode, but it just shows what a big deal this show is, that it can attract Richard Curtis and Bill Nye. Like, Bill Nye! I still remember the first time I saw that episode, I had no idea he was coming, and suddenly he turns around and oh my God, they got Bill Nye on Doctor. Wow! Yeah. And so this is representative of all those great 
famous established writers and actors that the new series has had. Um, this is my favourite example of them. I think it's a wonderful episode, wonderful example, but we've had so many good writers and actors in the new series and that's that's one of my favourite things about it. It's just so much talent. Yeah, and, and a nice tie back to the start of this episode. We're talking about writers who don't write sci-fi. There's, there's the example. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mentioned in that discussion Douglas Adams and that's one of those things where... You know, I'm, I'm sometimes, you know, irrationally proud to go, just, I don't know if you realise, but uh, Douglas Adams wrote three Doctor Who stories. Yep, that Douglas Adams. And script edited. And script edited, yeah. And the ability to say Richard Curtis wrote for this show. I think that's just a, a great, wonderful thing. Oh, yeah. Richard Curtis, Neil Gaiman, some wonderful writers. Absolutely. Now, Rob, we can't tic-tac for a little bit because you've got two picks and I've got two picks. And neither of your next two picks are actually from a series. No, they're not, Dave. They're from the 2013 uh, specials, which fall between uh, Series 7 and Series 8. So, yeah, I'm going to get two bites at the cherry here. Once from Day of the Doctor and once from Time of the Doctor. I think that's no surprise because they're the two specials from 2013. And I'm going to go with Day of the Doctor first. The scene, Dave, is Tom Baker as the curator. It's not a snap for me, but it is on my list of uh, honourable mentions, so it's a half a snap. Okay, let's throw some audio up first. I never forget a face. I know you don't. And in years to come, you might find yourself revisiting a few, but just the old favourites, eh? You were curious about this painting, I think. I acquired it in remarkable circumstances, eh? What do you make of the title? Well, which title this too? No more. Oh, Gallifrey Falls. Oh, you see, that's where everybody's wrong. It's all one title. Gallifrey Falls, no more. Now, what would you think that means? Eh? The Gallifrey didn't fall. It worked. It's still out there. I'm only a humble curator. I'm sure I wouldn't know. Then where is it? Where is it indeed? Yes. Lost. Shh. Perhaps things do get lost, you know. Now you must excuse me. Oh, you have a lot to do. Do I? Mm. Is that what I'm supposed to do now? Go looking for Gallifrey? Well, it's entirely up to you. Your choice. Eh? I can only tell you what I would do. If I were you. Oh, if I were you. <laughs> oh. Perhaps I was you, of course. <laughs> oh, perhaps you are me. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you very much. Or perhaps it doesn't matter either way. Who knows? Who knows? Now, Dave, was this a cheat for me to get Tom Baker into this list, even though we're talking you who? Uh, honestly, no, it wasn't. I just think this is a great scene. You watch the facial expressions of Smith when he hears the voice first, then he sees Tom. And you listen to the music that's playing throughout. You think of the ramifications of it all, that the Doctor is going to have a very long life ahead of himself. He's going to cycle through some old personas again, then grow very old with this one. He ends up curating a museum. 
it's really beautiful. It's a great thought to have about the future of the show, even if it's just a, a thought in our heads. You know, the show might not get made in 10 years' time, but we can always have this thought. And it's just this amazing cherry on the top for the 50th that they got Tom Bloody Baker back and just did this beautiful scene. And it still made sense, even though he didn't look like the Doctor anymore. Smith acted really well against him. Oh, just great. Just great stuff. It really is, and you've mentioned basically the two things that I would have said about it, Rob. One is that, as an old school fan, the moment when you hear Tom Baker's voice, and you just, oh my god, Tom Baker's in this. Like, I can remember sitting in the cinema watching this thing and having really enjoyed it, and the big epic finale and everything, and it's just winding down nicely, and suddenly Tom Baker's there, and you're just like, wow, this is wonderful, this is amazing. But as you also said, it's about this idea that there is a longevity to this show and to this character. And it just says, you know what, whatever happens, whatever twists and turns there might be, will be here in the future. It is so lovely. Yeah, just fantastic writing from Stephen Moffat here. Amazing. Yeah, very much so. All right, this next one is my final one, obviously, before I get to my runners-up. It's it's a longish one because I want to compare it to a bunch of things. Uh, It'll all make sense in a moment. It's Matt Smith regenerating in the time of the Doctor, Dave. Okay, not one that would have occurred to me. So what's what's your thinking? Well, I think this regeneration has a great build-up. Even Amy arriving to cut Clara's grasp (laughs) essentially works when she appears and, and starts, you know, interacting with the Smith Doctor who's regenerating and giving this little speech. Then his bow tie hits the ground. You know, it's it's just so good, isn't it? I mean, it all starts with, you know, it all just disappears, doesn't it? Everything you are gone in a moment like breath on a mirror. And I won't do Matt Smith justice if I keep going, so I'll just play the audio here. We all change when you think about it. We are all different people all through our lives. And that's okay, that's good, you've got to keep moving so long as you remember all the people that you used to be. I will not forget one line of this. Not one day, I swear. I will always remember when the Doctor was me. Is a, that is a really lovely monologue, isn't it? It really is. And what I want to do, what this longer segment here is, is I want to compare it to the other three New Who regenerations, not including the War Doctor, because I think it's the best. I mean, Eccleston's is a good regeneration. It's a bit brief. I think his better speech was earlier in the same episode when he comes on as that emergency hologram and says, Rose, I'm sending you home have a good life for me and all that. I think that's his actually his best speech, the actual regeneration speech where he's being a bit goofy and, you know, oh, I might have two heads, I might have no head. <laughs> you know, it's good, but it's not a great regeneration speech. It's not as good as the Smithy one. I've got to say the, the Eccleston one edges Smithy out for me. I, the uh, You were fantastic. You were absolutely fantastic. And you know what? So was I. I love that moment. I really do. 
Oh, Dave, it is it is great, but it doesn't it doesn't nudge Smithy for me. No, fair enough. Different opinions. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Tenants to me is a bit like Eggleston insofar as he has this major speech a little earlier in the episode. It's the one where he's railing against the dying of the light and saying it's so unfair. And it's a bit petulant, but I think anyone in that situation who wants to keep living would no doubt feel similar. But in the end, when we finally get to his regeneration, we now get the greatly mocked line. And I don't think uh, Tennant even liked it particularly. You know, I don't want to go. And I just, I didn't think that was very good at all. No, no. And then Capaldi's, ah, gosh, again, we've, we've spoken about this on the show. Capaldi's regeneration should have happened in the previous story when he had these great lines and he was lying on the ground wishing there were stars and all that sort of stuff. And I think that was just wonderful. Instead, Capaldi gets this almost cloying sort of speech where he's, it's, tr- it's clearly trying to outdo the Smith one and it just gets stuck in treacle. Like, you know, hate is always foolish and love is always wise. And, you know. It's and- trying too hard, isn't it? Yeah, and you mustn't tell anyone your name. No one would understand it except children. Children can hear it. And I'm like, oh, God, good grief. You know, so of all of them, I think Smith's regeneration, and I take on board what you say about Nicholson, but I, I think Smith's regeneration speech just knocks the others for six. Well, they're your top five things in the new series, Robin. If that's mm. one of your picks, then that's, that's great. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. And hearing that speech back again... I was reminded of how nice it was. Yeah, it's a good one. I'll always remember when the Doctor was me. Oh, Dave, straight through the heart. No, that's good. So look, they're they're your five pick, Robbers. I've still got two to go. Uh, The next one I have is from Series 10, and this is Pearl Mackie as Bill. Mm. One of the things about the new series that hasn't really landed that much for me are the companions. I loved Rose in series one, went off her very much in series two. Really like Martha. I know this is a bit of a heresy nowadays, but Catherine Tate never worked for me. Donna did a bit, but Catherine Tate just never did. I actively disliked Amy and Clara, um, Mm -hmm. and I've spoken about that in the past. But then along comes Bill, and this is just everything I want in a Doctor Who companion. Someone who's young, exciting, got character, got a bit of spunk, and just wants to have exciting adventures with the Doctor. Like, I want to have exciting adventures with the Doctor. And her enthusiasm and her simplicity and her infectious good nature was just so wonderful and helped me enjoy that series so, so much. Series 10, I've said it many times is one of my two real favourites out of the new series, the other being series one. Um, So look, I'm just going to play a clip here of that moment when Pearl Mackie, I think, officially becomes a companion. One time, you were going to give a lecture on quantum physics. You talked about poetry. Poetry, physics, same thing. How is it the same? Because of the rhymes. What are you doing at this university? I always wanted to come here. Yeah, to serve chips. So anyway, am I nearly done? Do you want to be? See ya. You ever get less than a first, then it's over. You what? A first. Every time. Or I stop immediately. Stop what? Being your personal tutor. But I'm not a student. I'm not part of the university. I never even applied. We'll sort all that out later. You kind of have to sort that out earlier. Leave it with me. I'm assuming that it's a yes. Yes. 
I'll see you at 6 p.m. every weekday. I don't care who's dying. Never, ever be late. I'm very particular about time. So that, that, that Rob, to me, is the moment she becomes a companion. She is my favourite companion of the new series. She is a highlight of the new series for me, the character of Bill played by Bill Mackey. Yeah, I had a sense I'd like the the companion, Dave. I was still subscribing to Dwim at the time. There was some good lead up to Pearl uh, joining the show. I like the look of the companion. I like the the idea of the companion that we'd been told about. And that scene, yeah, that really did seal it for me too. It was like, great. I do like this companion. It, It was just natural. I think it meant a lot to me as well because, you know, I don't like it when I don't like something in Doctor Who. If I'm yeah. not enjoying a series or I'm not enjoying a companion, I, I you know, I don't like that. I, I want to be positive. And having been, you know, frankly very down on a couple of companions for a few years now, to have someone I love so much come on mm. was, it, it meant even more to me. It was really good. It was so wonderful. And she's, I think, the only new series companion proper that I've met. And that oh, was okay. that was pretty cool too. I haven't met any. No, I haven't met any of the others. So, I have met Pearl Mackey, and that was kind of kind of cool. Very good. What's your next one? Uh, so my next one and my final pick is from series eleven, and I've picked the episode "Demons of the Punjab." Ooh. We're in nineteen forty-seven, Pakistan, and now Ombrin, she's your nun, right? Yeah. How did we bring demons on ourselves? I don't know. But we'll find out. If I had to guess, I think we're going on. Tread softly. You're treading on your own history. And I've picked this to represent the historicals. Because one thing the new series has done really well is that it has remembered that Doctor Who can travel backwards in time as well as forwards in time. Something that, particularly in the JNT era, they kind of forgot a lot. And mm. the fact they've done it so well, you know, Fires of Pompeii, Shakespeare Code, you know, lots of good examples right across uh, the various different eras. But Chibnall did it so well. Rosa, Dems of the Punjab, and uh, the one with James the First and the Witchfinders. I mean, those three were three of my favourite episodes in that series. So well done. And so, yeah, my, my fifth favourite thing out of the new series is that they've done historical stories so, so well. And look, I've said this before on the podcast, but if there's a kid out there who watches an historical episode about Pompeii or about the partition of India or about James I and then goes onto Wikipedia and reads more about that piece of history or goes and buys a book or, or, or branches off, that's a wonderful thing. And I think that's Doctor Who at its absolute best. Yeah, yeah, completely agree with you as a as a history buff myself. I think it was one of the the uh, the shining lights of that first Chibnall series. I mean, there were there were things we criticised about that series, but I think one thing we really liked was the uh, the historical stories. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, summary from me: my top five favourite things: Daleks, Russell's two parters, amazing guest cast and actors, Pearl Mackey, and historicals. And for me, Eccleston's speech in Rose, describing who he is as the Doctor, Sarah Jane returning in School Reunion, uh, were all stories in the end from The Big Bang, Tom Baker's cameo in Day of the Doctor, and Matt Smith's regeneration speech in The Time of the Doctor. Some pretty good stuff there. It's, it's a pretty good series, isn't it? It really is. Now, I do have three runners-up, and it sounds like you do too, Dave. Mine are in no particular order, though. Uh, yes, yeah, so look, you have taken one of my three, so I'm going to sub one in, and I, I've, I've still got three. 
Okay, Dave, I'm throwing in here, and you know I've... <laughs> this is funny, because I've done uh, Day of the Doctor and Time of the Doctor. I'm going for the, the trifecta with Night of the Doctor. Do I get a snap? No, but... Oh! oh. Yeah, no, very cool. Very, very <laughs> cool. Very cool. I could go on at length, Dave, about how Paul McGann should be what we know as the War Doctor. And the painful thing is, Night of the Doctor only serves to hammer that point home. Obviously... I think his big finish work had kept him in match fitness. The way he just strolls back in and inhabits this role, a role he'd barely played in front of the cameras at all. Yeah. It's just criminal how good he was. This is such a great Doctor Who moment. I think we all wanted a Paul McGann series after this, no matter how much we liked Matt Smith. Just, oh, fantastic. And it wasn't leaked. No. It, amazing. It was a genuine surprise. You know, I'm... I am the Doctor, maybe not the one you expected. Wow, that was that was such a great moment. Yeah, really good. Uh, I have picked as one of my runners-up the I'd wished, or I'd hoped there'll be stars moment from the end of um, Capaldi's run, which yeah. you mentioned in passing, Rob. It should have been the regeneration moment. Even though it's not, it's such a wonderful moment for me, and yeah, it deserves to be in my runners-up. Yeah, I think, although we've never had confirmation, I'm sure that's what Moffat wrote it as and then had to go and write the Christmas episode and so it didn't become the regeneration moment. I think so, I think so. Yeah. Okay, my uh, second of three runners-up, Dave, is Blink. Yeah, good, no, no, but good call. Blink, I mean, Blink is almost cliche now to me, uh, which is why I couldn't actually put it in my top five. It's like, it's like an album that's become so good and so popular it's become hard to listen to you know it's like park life by blur or what's the story morning glory by oasis it's just too big too popular to be really uh cool if i can put it that way (laughs) yeah but but like those albums even though you slightly shudder when you think oh should i put this on there's a reason why those albums are so loved it's because they're good and Blink is really, really good. The first time I saw it, I was blown away. And although the, the Weeping Angels become sort of a diminishing return as they go on in the series, this first episode was extraordinary. I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Yeah, it's not Blink's fault that both the timey-wimey concept and the Angels concepts kind of got used to death and, and, and diminished over time. Who cares? That's not Blink's fault. Blink stands out as a really good piece of Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, my next one, I've picked a pair of stories which I'm just a very big fan of, and that's Midnight and Turn Left. I think they oh, go yeah. together as a pair because it's the Doctor Light and Companion Light. Uh, in, in this occasion, no big sort of metaphorical meaning or uh, no representative thing, just two great stories as a pair that I really love. Of the two, do you have a favourite? For me, it'd be Turn Left. Probably for me as well, although certainly at the time it was Turn Left. But I think Midnight has aged incredibly well. And so it's very hard to pick now. But yeah, probably just turn left. Is that because it's simple? Like they're, they're just on that ship for most of it? Yeah, and because there are performances in there, particularly from Tennant, that every time you watch it, you get a little bit more of what they're doing and they're really, really, really good. Whereas turn left perhaps relies a little bit, as, as drama should, on the impact the oh my god this is oh my god that's happened oh my god that's happened like you know you can only ever get that once out of a drama whereas I think mm. Midnight you can get more out of the uh, the, the follow up watchings but look both great stories both highlights of the new series yeah absolutely and for me my third runner up Dave Doomsday and 
I think from the moment Rose said at the start of the story that this is how she died, this episode had me gripped on the first viewing. And so much of it now seems cheesy uh, when I watch it. But on that first viewing, the Doctor and Rose eventually being separated, which at the time seemed very, very odd for Doctor Who, especially given the way, you know, Tennant and Rose had been unstoppable for this past season and their, their hubris was just out of control. And, you know, suddenly they were separated literally and this bass line kicked in and this music. And I thought, this is this is extraordinary. This is so different for Doctor Who. Of course, it all changes later on. But at this moment on transmission, it was a really big moment for me. And although I feel different about the story now, I can still sort of put myself back in that mindset of when I first saw it. And it's still extraordinary to me. Yeah, it's really nice to hear that, Rob. I don't agree at all. Um, I didn't really get a lot out of it when I first watched it. Uh, I was so annoyed and irritated by that whole smug Rose Doctor thing in Series 2 that by the time she's doing this very self-righteous thing, this is the day I died, I'm like, I'll just get on with it. Oh, really? (laughs) I I really, really got very angry at the Rose portrayal in Series 2, so her leaving the series wasn't a big deal for me. It was actually something I was kind of embracing. So I love the way that you describe it, and I love the way that it landed for you. It didn't land for me like that. Okay. And my final runner-up, Rob, is a moment that is also a representative moment. It's something that you almost mentioned before when you're talking about Tennant's regeneration. And whilst I think that a lot of that regeneration build-up and stuff is very schmaltzy and some of it's actually a bit off, the moment where he sees Jack and Midshipman framing the bar and just gives Jack approval to move on with his life after what happened in Children of Earth... I just found that a really lovely and touching moment. And as a bigger representative thing, obviously this is a um, portrayal of a, a, a gay relationship between Jack and, and Frame. And I think mm. it's a wonderful thing that the new series has done to have that uh, LGBT representation in it um, in, in a number of ways. I think it hasn't been always as good as it's wanted it to be. And we've we've had that discussion before, particularly in the Chibnall era. But, but that moment, to have such a powerful moment between two men and have it mean what it does, you know, where the Doctor's forgiving Jack for that wonderful dramatic moment at the end of Children of Earth, which I, Children of Earth, I just think is amazing. Oh, uh, yeah. That, that, that tiny few seconds um, was worth making the, uh, the runner-up list for me. His name's Alonzo. That's right, yeah. It just, it just <laughs> go ahead and live your life, Jack. You're allowed to fall in love again. Yeah, just wonderful. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Now, Dave, I've got a, just a few quick closing remarks. Before I do, some stuff for me that didn't get in. I'm, I'm not sure if you have a similar list. Uh, Capaldi's Pity No Stars. I hope there'd be stars. Uh, it just didn't get into my list, but I, I love it. But it was, um, it was on mine, so there you go. Yeah, The Doctor's Wife, which I think is marvellous. Ditto for Amy's Choice and The Girl Who Waited, which are both weird because I don't like Amy, but I love Amy's Choice and The Girl Who Waited, which are both extremely Amy-centric stories. I had nothing from the Chibnall era, although you did have one. Murray Gold or music in general, I didn't get into. Um, any of the companions, you got Bill, though, that's great. Or any behind-the-scenes people. Uh, they're, they're some of the notes I made of stuff that didn't get into my lists. Yeah, I didn't have a, a runner-runner-up list, but if I did, I think I'll start digging a bit deeper and start looking at some of those directors particularly that have done a really good job. But no, I'm, I'm very happy with the stuff that we've discussed i think we've really pulled out some pretty wonderful stuff about the new series that as you say it's it's never going to quite mean what the classic one did to us because it wasn't a part of our childhood and that's just Mm. a reality and that's fine but when you stop and think about it 
there's a lot of amazing stuff in it. I think we've really represented that tonight. Yeah, and I think my closing remark, Dave, would be I was really surprised when I was making this list. In fact, I commented a couple of times on Twitter about it. And the first thing that surprised me was how often I was going to de feels for my top moments. All these moments that made me sad and shed a tear or made me so happy that I shed a tear. And I think that's so tied into New Who. You can't think of big moments in New Who and not have some swell of music or some big speech probably both on your mind ahead of other things you know new who is all about the feels as the kids say the second thing i guess that surprised me and it shouldn't have been a surprise is just how many moments i liked i mean i made this top five i had my three runners up i had a bunch of other stuff i've just rattled through that didn't make the list at all just so many great moments in new who dave it really is a treasure look absolutely and i think that's why i've cheated in part by having representative examples you know rather than picking one or you know, picking one two-parter that represents a whole bunch of two-parters I love. Picking one Dalek story that represents a whole bunch of Dalek stories I love. And that was sort of the only way I could fit anything into a list as short as five uh, items. Yeah, it really was cruel in some way. I mean, I had my top five, had my runners-up, and there's probably listeners out there thinking, Christ, Rob, what about X, Y, and Z? And and trust me, I know X, Y, and Z too. I, I love them as well. But the nature of this exercise was just to whittle it down to the point where you're throwing out stuff you absolutely adore. It's It's cruel. Yeah, and I'm looking forward, as I always do, to what examples our listeners come back to us with by email and by social media. But we've had a couple come in in advance, Rob. We have. We've got a few uh, listener emails here, Dave. So I'll kick off with, uh, yeah, with David Clark. Hiya, Dave and Rob. Loved your Pertwee show from last month. Oh, thank you, Dave. Uh, a quick reference to Big Chief Studios. I've just made my last payment on the third Doctor figure. It looks awesome, and I should have it by June. Well, that means I'll have it by June too, uh, Dave and Dave, because um, I've, I've made my last payment on it as well. It does look good. Uh, I also met Katie Manning for the first time recently, and I've got to say, what a lovely lady. Well, that's a nice tie into the Pertwee era, Dave. It is, yes. Yeah. Now, New Who... The first best moment for me was in 2005, sitting with my young children watching Rose and brainwashing two of my three kids into being confirmed fans. As Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) Very good. Yes. Next, the regeneration scene from 9 to 10. So well done. In fact, I would say fantastic. Agree with that one? Yeah, I thought you'd agree with that one, Dave. Love the scene between the Doctor and Donna from opposite windows. Ah, oh, that must be the one with the uh, adipose. Yes. Uh, in it. Yeah, and they're pointing. Yeah, Partners I, I, I know that one. That's the one. And my two favourite episodes from the Tenant era has to be Family of Blood and Human Nature. Just brilliant. And you've mentioned those as well in this episode. Yep. Excellent David. taste there, David. Very, very good. Um, I could choose many moments, but these are the first that come to mind. And can I just say to all young Who fans, uh, Doctor Who didn't begin in 2005. I know many who haven't watched Old Who, but please do it's a treasure cheers guys keep up the good work from dave or as my customers on my round call me dr die it's a welsh thing very nice uh, i've got an email here from peter deadman thank you again for writing into us peter hi guys whilst the new series from 2005 onwards has been hit or miss for me at times there's no doubt that there's some great moments in there even in otherwise poor stories choosing five was not easy but here are some selections of moments which made me sit up and take notice 
Derek Jacobi's transformation into the master. Great scene, brilliant acting, and a time when the soundtrack's hyperactivity was a strength. That's a really good example. It could easily have been on my list. Yeah, or mine. It's it's another example. Yep. Doomsday on the beach. Rose and the Doctor meeting for the last-ish time. It was melodramatic, but it was impactful. Interesting, because I like Doomsday, but I like when they're just separated and the, and the wall is between them. Not, not so much the beach scene. Uh, this is one we've both mentioned, Rob. Uh, the Doctor Falls, I thought there would be stars moment was great. Should have been the regeneration scene. I think we all agree on that one. Oh, absolutely. The end of Bad Wolf where the big plot is revealed and the Daleks appear. Again, melodramatic, but still great. I remember that moment and just... I can only think of one other example in the new series when I wanted to watch the next episode that badly. Oh, that that trailer where... Was it Jack saying, we're at war? Yes. And the missile was flying towards the TARDIS. Like, I can't remember most Doctor Who trailers, but I remember that one vividly. The missile flying towards the TARDIS and and, and uh, they survived through me and, and all of that. Oh, yeah. my God. So oh. memorable. So good. Amazing. Uh, another one we've mentioned, the Doctor meeting the curator Tom Baker in The Day of the Doctor. Lovely moment in a great celebration story. Yes, we agree with that one. Absolutely. There's many more, of course, and Finding Five is never easy. If you ever do a list of the worst moments in New Who, I have a pretty long list. <laughs> Keep up the good work, guys. Peter. Very good, Peter. And uh, it might be a bit too negative to do the worst moments in New Who, but I'm sure we could think of some real stinkers. Oh, yes. <laughs> just, just mind series six and uh, death in heaven. But uh, we won't go down that path. We're having a lovely night. There we are, we are. Uh, finally, Dave, we have an email here from David Young. Hello again, David. Hello. Good to hear from you. Uh, dear Dave and Rob, I was thinking about Peter Davison's comments about only doing three years as the Doctor, but during season 21 and the quality of scripts beginning to wish he had done another. It got me thinking, what if season 22 had featured Davo? How would this have altered the fate of the Doctor over the next few years? If Kays of Androzani had been left till the end of season 22 as the regeneration, then season 20 could end with Planet of Fire and Turlo leaving and Perry becoming a true companion. Would season 22 have been so violent in its approach, some of which occurred due to the Sixth Doctor's disturbed personality and abrasive relationship with Perry? Davo would have met the Cybermen for the first time after the death of Adric in Attack. He would have met Troughton and the Two Doctors and so on. A very different season. Although I must say this without trying to knock Colin, who I am beginning to really love as the Doctor whilst re-watching his stories. This also goes with the premise that the stories would have been used for another Doctor. But hey, it's a what-if moment. Uh, so the same could be true of other Doctors. Pertwee decides to do a sixth year and not ask for a pay rise and encounters the genesis of the Daleks and meets the Cybermen for the first time time in season 12 colin goes to paradise towers with mel i thought this was a fun subject to discuss with some friends and wondered if you might fancy this as a possible podcast topic in the future love the podcast if you read out can you mention oliver scrivener a boy at my school who was a mega fan of the show it would mean a lot to him regards from england david young well hello oliver how are you yeah hope you're enjoying the show yeah, I hope you're looking forward to the new series coming back and watching uh, all the old episodes too. There's definitely some good ideas in there that we can explore, and I think we will at some point. I totally agree, and I think a lot of people agree, that the idea of Davison doing a fourth series with just him and Perry could have been something quite wonderful. Oh, well, you don't have to sell me on that. No, Dave. no, no. <laughs> 
But yeah, look, some of these ideas, and I mean, yeah, we could kick this around one day in the future. I mean, Colin Baker and Paradise Towers, I think, would be quite fun. Yeah, no, there's some good um, alternate history or what-if stuff that maybe we can explore in an episode sometime next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Davo with Trout and then Two Doctors. Yeah, yeah, all of this. Yeah, intriguing, intriguing. Very, very much so. Well, we're at the end of our episode, Rob. I think we've had a nice, fun look back at the new series and what we love. We have got quite a lot, though, coming up over the next five to six weeks. Oh, we really do, Dave, because as longtime fans of the show know, we are Star Wars fans and we do look at all the Star Wars releases. Well, I didn't look at Solo, but you, you did that very ably with uh, Richard instead. But we've got the final Star Wars movie, well, episode nine of the saga films coming out. And we'll be talking about that, Dave, in, in late December, probably before our next monthly episode. Uh, of course, we then do have a monthly episode. And then almost immediately in the new year, we've got these two New Year's Day specials. So there's three big episodes coming up. Yeah, so we'll be doing our review of Star Wars Episode Nine. I know Richard and I have both got our tickets to a midnight screening. So um, feel for us at four o'clock in the morning when that wraps up. <laughs> but it, 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 it's, it's kind of something now we, I think we'll just regret if we didn't do, of having done midnight screenings for all the saga films since Phantom Menace. Yeah, now that's that's a really nice thing to do. And I'm not doing the midnight. In fact, I'll be doing it almost a day later, 9pm opening day uh, with the wife. But we'll be seeing it within the first 24 hours and, and, and a lot sooner than the rest of the world, of course, given we're ahead of the rest of the world time-wise anyway. That's right. We'll then have a small and light and hopefully fun episode for our December episode in the normal slot. And we'll then be back to review the new two-part story early in the new year. Yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll let the first one go and watch the second one before we, we wrap those up as, as one uh, podcast. Uh, so don't look for a hot take or something the day after New Year's Day by any means. Yeah, look, what to expect? I, I don't know. Stephen Fry, I guess we can expect. And uh, Lenny Henry, outside of that, no idea. No, I suspect that what we're going to get on the Saturday, or what we just got on Saturday, if you're listening to this on Sunday, will actually be a, uh, not a trailer, but a sneak peek. Because they've done that a bit lately, where they just show you a a one-minute scene or something that goes, ooh, what's that about? Now, that could be really interesting. And as we said at the start of the episode, all you people out there, you've seen it by now. We haven't. Yeah, so I might be a complete (laughs) fool at this point, but that's okay. Uh, So we will be doing uh, a lot over the next few weeks and I will be turning up on 42 Doomsday's Christmas special which will also be out in December yeah uh, December's a fun time I like it it is but look Dave until then I've been Rob and I've been Dave and we'll see you next time on the Doctor Who show we will speak many times soon (laughs) bye bye goodbye You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. 
This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who. Thank you.